Hello, and welcome to the Spotlight Podcast by PEI Media. I'm Chase Collum, joined today by some of the brightest regulatory wonks on staff here that I know. Uh, we have Snehal Shah, a reporter for New Private Markets based in London, Bill Myers, editor of Regulatory Compliance Watch in Rockville, Maryland, and Graham Bippert, our editor of Private Fund CFO based out of New York. And Bill, let's start with you, and then Graham, if you want to jump in too. Um, what, what's been on your desks? Sure, Chase. I mean, thanks for having me on. Um, look, I mean, how brief do you want me to be? I mean, because I can put it flatly that everybody who he- is hearing the sound of my voice is completely doomed right now, right? I think we're, we're going to look back at 2021 and 22 as sort of hinge moments for private funds in the United States. And I think that it carries implications, obviously, globally, not just because the U.S. is the biggest market, but because the regulators here are setting themselves out what for Americans are incredibly ambitious goals here, right? The, the Biden administration is the first in American history that has declared corruption to be a threat to national security. Not like that's all wonky sort of DC stuff, but what that means in essence is the entire bureaucracy of Washington, you know, something like 200,000 200, full-time employees is now told that all their incentives are, are to crack down on financial fraud, waste, and abuse. And the difficulty for private funds is that they are conspicuous in their absence from most of the pre-existing regulations, right? They're not covered by the Bank Secrecy Act. They're not covered by most of the disclosure laws. And what we've seen in the early days of the Biden administration, we're, we're now actually a year in, is regulators here sort of playing catch up and playing catch up in a big way. Some of the things that we've seen out of the SEC just in the last month, right? I mean, we've two, seen two big rulemakings, one on Form PF, the other on uh, the whole private fund compliance reviews, and then a, a, the second only risk alert, as well as FinCEN's the Department of Treasury, the Financial Crimes Network, threatening to bring anti-money laundering regulations some, a lot of what they're talking about, even in its sort of provisional phase, is going to land very heavily on private fund advisors. So I think whatever the final rules are, this feels like sort of a, a mainspring moment. I mean, as I mentioned Suisse, they were one of the folks that got hosed in the collapse of Archegos, right? And Archegos is one of the case studies that SEC Chairman Gary Gensler is using to make his case for the private funds reforms he's proposing. I'd love to hear what Graham thinks about how this is going to fall on the operational side of of private funds. My sense from the compliance side is this is sort of an apocal moment. This is a seismic moment for funds. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, I think a lot of people are still parsing through the details of the proposal, which was, I think, you know, 340 some odd pages long. Some of the definitions in there are probably intentionally pretty broad so that the SEC doesn't find itself leaving some things on the table that it it wants to have jurisdiction over. And so the result there is that people are going to be looking for, you know, narrower definitions uh, so that they know exactly what they're dealing with, for example, in the areas of like data privacy or information, rather. I mean, operationally, what this, a lot of this is pointing towards is that there's going to be increased costs for finance and accounting departments for middle offices. And I think that, you know, that's given that a lot of my contacts, my sources are already struggling with the resources that they do have. It's going to mean quite an uphill battle to get more resources into the back offices and middle offices. And, uh, you know, it's going to obviously drive some potential challenges when it comes to competing with the bigger PE firms, for example. There are some provisions that would force a side letter agreements with certain large investors to be disclosed to other investors for smaller managers who use side letters as a way to compete with some of their bigger peers, that's pretty constricting and sort of blunts their competitive edge. But a lot is yet, a lot is still yet to be known in terms of the actual total impact that the rules will have. 
on managers. You know, it's just going to have to come out after the comment period when the SEC begins to narrow some definitions and we really understand where resources are going to need to deploy. The overall trend, however, is it's going to cost more to play the game, basically. One of the things that stood out to me, and it, there's so much to sort of parse in, in these rulemakings, but Graham was talking about the compliance reviews that the SEC has proposed uh, in February. One of the things that I'm, sources are, are just sort of grappling with this, the bit about the disclosing of fees and expenses on the quarters, which would be required of all private fund advisors, among the implications there are because they're only having to, to disclose it to investors and not necessarily to regulators, some of us wonder out loud whether this is the SEC sort of outsourcing enforcement to the trial bar, right? Because every time a public company restates their earnings, say, websites pop up on the instant from class action lawyers saying, you know, are you a shareholder? You know, we can get your money back. There's no reason to think that that kind of thing won't happen, especially in the early days, if this rule is approved as is, or even if some version of it is, private funds are going to have to restate a lot of things right off the bat, right? When they're talking about their fees and expenses, and if they're talking about practices that they can no longer do, if they have to disclose their side letters, and whatever regulatory that risk that opens up, it's at least conceivable that you could start seeing websites popping up saying, you know, are you an investor in, you know, Ramjack private funds? Give us a call for a free consultation. While you're cogitating on that horrible thought, the second thing to know is that the Supreme Court has just held in late January that pension fiduciaries, for instance, can't just offer a menu of options to their investors anymore. They have to do some actual scratching and due diligence. And that every lawsuit that goes to a federal court over fiduciary duties and pension funds has to have what they call a context-specific inquiry, which is to say litigation has just gotten a lot more expensive and a lot more lengthy for everybody in the pension fund space, right? Now you add on the added threat of having to restate your fees and expenses, say, or, you know, your compliant, what, you know, what your compliance reviews are finding, you know, compliance costs are going to go up no matter what. I mean, the SEC has been very straight about that, but your litigation costs may also skyrocket here too, or at least your insurance costs. Just on a side note with that, William, one of the things we're hearing, and it's a bit of a tangent, is being in an environment where there's such quick fundraising and for much bigger funds, Pension funds are really feeling the squeeze, particularly in due diligence. I think you're right. And I think, though, like what makes the argument much more acute here in the United States is that unlike you decadent Europeans now, we don't have anything like a social democracy, right? So when you're talking about pension funds, you're talking about people's sole source of income and support in their most vulnerable years, right? So that like that intensifies all the arguments. And one of the things to notice about what the Biden administration broadly and the SEC specifically is doing, they've made clear that the constituency they have in mind for all of these reforms are those large pension funds, right? Not exclusively, but especially the labor funds, right? Organized labor in this country is a backbencher since the 70s, but all of the pensioners, all of the plumbers and pipefitters who, who once made up the core of the Democratic Party are now oldsters, right? Including my dear saintly father, right? Who relies on his teacher's pension. Something like 15% of pension funds, state pension funds are invested in private funds. So it looks to us, at least, it, lo- it looks from this point of view, that this is the SEC sort of staking out territory around the big institutional, especially pension funds, but institutional investors generally, 
saying like, you know, you're going to have to give up your privacy if you want access to this kind of market. Yeah, I think that the SEC is actually looking not just at institutional investors and pension funds, but also the potential for retail, you know, money to enter the space five or 401ks, right? I mean, the trend is clearly there. That's going to happen. It is already to some extent happening. And, you know, the, the result is the SEC is trying to protect investors where they see the last, you know, SEC commission under Jay Clayton as having sort of looked more towards the sell side, basically opening up the markets for the sell side. Now they're looking at trying to protect investors more. I think the lesson to be learned here is essentially that, like, if your sector is large enough, the SEC, once it identifies it as potentially systemic, it's going to look to regulate it. The, the result here is that the private markets are going to have to act more like public markets. But I mean, there's still a lot of ways in which the private equity and private credit and other private capital markets can operate differently than public markets. One of the major changes you'll see from the operational side, I think, is that every, all private equity firms are now going to have to get regular audits. Many already do, some don't. But for those that don't, particularly, they're going to have to be wary of not disclosing trade secrets, for one, uh, in their audits. And also, you know, making sure that they're not making large restatements for exactly the reason that you said. I mean, the SEC is going to take a look at large restatements as potentially problematic, as will potentially class action lawyers can open them up to lawsuits. And, you know, they're also going to have to be using, according to the proposal as written, PCAOB registered auditors. Many funds would use sort of smaller audit firms, for example, if they're winding down or if they're just smaller firms that don't want to use one of the big players in that market. So that's another big change that could cause upward pressure for a lot of smaller firms. I think Graham's exactly right. I think that the thing is, Gensler has been very plain about how the size of the private equity market is influenced his thinking here, right? One of the things to notice about him, a lot of times when a new party takes over in Washington, they undo a lot of the stuff that they found offensive about the old party's doings. In this case, Gensler hasn't really done that. I mean, he's made a couple efforts to sort of tweak the proxy advisor rule, but he's left, you know, Reg BI, Form CRS. He's left most of the Clayton era rulemakings in place. But what he's doing is he's, he's essentially calling their bluff, right? Right. You wanted a harmonized market. Okay. We're going to regulate it as a harmonized market. And if you listen to the way he talks about private equity in particular, he talks about how essential it is to the, to the markets now. What's in essence in, in Gensler's brief here is that the private markets have become too big to fail. And Graham, as you point out, it, it may not exactly be retail investors, although there's a lot of questions about that, especially at the lower end and especially in some of these prominent fraud cases that we've seen. But in essence, what's happening at the SEC is that a lot of these debates, and there's still more to come, are arguments over the definition of accredited investor. Who counts as a sophisticated, wealthy person who can afford, as they say, as the Supreme Court once said, who can take the risk of a private fund? And by the way, you know, one of the things that's still on Gensler's agenda is sweeping as these first two rule proposals are, he still hasn't gotten to the substance of Reg D reforms that he's promising and the redefinition of accredited investors. So like we're just getting the onion peeled here. Yeah, there's so much more of this onion to peel, obviously, but let's kick it back over to Snahal and talk about what's going on in the UK a little bit. I know uh, some of our uh, European listeners are probably uh, glazing over thinking about all of these American problems. Yeah, yeah, there's too much going on in America. Oh, the UK is a bit difficult because there are so many different bodies. We don't just have the SEC. And obviously, so since Brexit, this is the worst. And I'm sorry for bringing it up. But since Brexit, the UK has been trying to figure out its own regulatory powers and the various different regulators, so the pension regulator, the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, 
all seem to be gaining new powers, but I think the general impression is that they're still finding their feet on what they actually want to regulate, what sort of an approach they want to take now that we're out of the EU, we're not following EU directives, we don't have someone to lead us along in that. There's a big sense of unpredictability, I'd say. I mean, you're speaking of uncertainty. I mean, the just this morning, Her Majesty's government and the United States are announcing new sanctions on Russian oligarchs, right? With the Russian situation in Ukraine. And, you know, it's an objective fact that there's a lot of corrupt money in private markets, especially in the U.S. And if you don't believe me, give Grammar I a call. We, we've been working in this space for a while. But the other thing to keep in mind is that for you decadent Europeans, you don't have to pay attention to U.S. regulators, but the U.S. asserts its sovereignty over its dollar so that if your firm has ever taken in a dollar or spent a dollar, which is to say every country on this wretched planet, the U.S. considers itself under its writ, right? So whether or not English or European private funds are ready for the regulatory changes, the American regulators are certainly ready for them. And I think that the war in Russia, the Russian aggression in Ukraine, and then Chinese aggression in Taiwan has helped sharpen that focus here and made it even more acute. Under existing rules, there's a lot of funds who could have woke up this morning and discovered that one of their biggest clients is on the sanction list which is the U.S. saying you can no longer do business with that person, right? So how do you untangle that, right? Like whether these rules are approved or not, private funds have a lot of work ahead of them. You know, we're going to change houses in the U.S. likely by the end of the year, but I don't know that that's going to give private funds the relief they need because there's just a lot of weight behind all of this. And I think it's going to be world historic in its scope, even if the rules as proposed are watered down. Right. Absolutely. You know, I can't help but feel that we've barely scratched the surface here. Uh, But if you really want to dive into these issues, then you need to be reading Regulatory Compliance Watch, New Private Markets, and Private Funds CFO. Thanks so much to Bill, Snehal, and Graham for joining. I'm Chase Collum, and this has been Spotlight by PEI Media.